Welcome to the Breakdown Podcast presented by Sky Sport. I'm Jeff Wilson. Each week we will catch up with all the noise surrounding the game. We'll discuss, debate and deliver all the commentary you could possibly need. This week I chat with Sir John Coon and Jim Case about the Six Nations, what it means for New Zealand rugby. We look at Super Rugby Pacific and the latest Silver Lake developments. Also welcome Roger Tuabasa-Shek back to rugby and how his pre-season has gone. And our Southern correspondent, Joe Wheeler, he updates us on the Hollanders Super Rugby Prospects. The Breakdown Network is expanding in 2022. It's Breakdown Live now on a Sunday night. That will be our normal studio show, but we've got Breakdown, the podcast. It's going to be coming to you every week. We're going to be talking to everybody across the game, going in all different directions. That's the perfect place to start. You get a couple of guys who are going to be regulars through the course of the year. Jim Kays and Sir John Kerwin. Jim's covered over 200 all-black test matches, six World Cups. He's the editor of New Zealand Rugby World. We know who Sir John Kerwin is. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's playing rugby league, whether it's coaching the game of rugby, and of course, being an all-black superstar. What's our topics of discussion this week? It's the Six Nations, Super Rugby Pacific, and we didn't think we'd talk about it again, but the Silver Lake deal, it is very close to being done. That's what we are hearing, but... On the weekend, big game happened in Paris, JK. It was Ireland, it was France. It was essentially going to be, in some ways, people talking, this was the game that was going to be the one that decided who might go on and win the Six Nations. France come out on top. The All Blacks have got in the Rugby World Cup in 2023. France in round one, the first game. I'll tell you what, it was some sort of occasion on the weekend. And was that maybe a taste of what the All Blacks can look forward to in about 18 months' time? Yeah, I sort of thought that, you know, if Ireland or France are going to win the World Cup, uh, you know, they would have had to gone into a situation like Ireland did on the weekend and win, or come down to New Zealand like England did in, in um, 2000 and 2001 and beat us on our own soil. I mean, Sexton, a Sexton injury, but, you know, I just, my biggest concern for us is I think that they've gone to the next level from a from an attacking point of view, I think Irish attack is is really good, um, and so is the French, and they're both very different. I think this French side, you know, youthful, scattering of brilliance. So I would say right now, the the Six Nations that I've watched, those two um, are currently the best. However, this is the beauty of the Six Nations. I'll say this to Jim Kays because. I keep rambling on about it. It's such a fantastic competition. I mean, I've coached in it for three years. Um, tribalism and traditionalism. And actually, you don't get through a tournament normally, you know, really without losing. And it'll go down to the last day. So that's the beauty of it. Who knows? Oh, I, I think we saw that big time, didn't we, in, in, in the weekend. And particularly, you know, you, you think back to the, the crowd atmospheres. I mean, the start of that Welsh game. Uh, with the the wonderful anthem at uh, Millennium Stadium, I, th- I think we can we could play a little bit of that. Uh, it was just absolutely superb, and and I remember Sir Graham Henry saying that when he coached Wales, they played uh, Scotland in Edinburgh, and forty thousand people turned up, and only about ten thousand Welshmen had tickets to the game, but the rest just wanted to be in in Edinburgh. So you can't you can't rival that. We don't have anything like that here in New Zealand. That wonderful atmosphere and that tribalism that J.K. talks about. And I think that's what I love about this competition. The more and more you watch it, it gets to the point where every year it doesn't necessarily matter about how strong they think their teams are. They believe themselves to get themselves to be good enough to compete. I just thought, though, as I watched this play out over the weekend, there's there's some real tears in between the sides. You know, um, look, another difficult uh, ah, a weekend. For Italy, getting um, comprehensively, you'd have to say, dominated by England. Um, Eddie Jones was at his best again um, in his post-match interview. You know, made it quite clear. Oh, oh, the All Blacks had trouble with Italy in the first 40 minutes last year, and so did France at one point. We didn't have any of those issues today. So he's talking up his young first five, Smith, who's obviously a prodigious talent. But I, I look across the board, and you know, I, I saw France and Ireland on the weekend, and they did it the previous weekend, playing at a different level, and. Two, I'll tell you what, I, I love watching these two halfbacks play. 
I mean, obviously we know about Antoine Dupont, who's who's established himself as world class, a fantastic rugby player. But Jamison Gibson Park for me, a player who was he, he played for the Blues. He was with you, J.K. You know, I think all of a sudden it's highlighted to me the way the game is being played, how important your number nine is on being able to make great decisions, to test the defence. And on the weekend, we saw two guys, I think, have sort of mastered about when they run. It was a beautiful try through the middle of the park by Gibson Park. You know, for me, I get the sense that it's how we build around and develop what Aaron Smith has offered the All Blacks, and we need someone to step up and fill the role that these guys are playing. Because to me, I think they're the critical pieces of the puzzle now. I mean, in terms of stressing the defence and looking at the option taking, that's where I saw a massive difference. Goldie, I believe that you can't just have pods anymore, right? You can't just have your pods outside. I mean, for me, for me, the pods are for when the when you jump into unstructure to get it back to a bit of structure. But your halfback is part of your attack now, and that's why I think Dupont and Jamison Gibson Park are so important. I think there was one line out with Jamison Gibson Park was the first receiver out wide and he had guys coming off him. You know, you see that of, of DuPont. He's always um, attacking around the fringes. So I, I keep coming back to the evolution of attack, where I think that New Zealand has always led the way up until recently on how we attack. Now, the reason, the reason that DuPont and Jamison Gibson Park are so important is because not, they're not just passers anymore, and they're actually not just those that dart round the rucks. They're actually part of a comprehensive um, attack system, which I think has really developed since the last World Cup in the Northern Hemisphere. I don't see that at the moment um, in our games, and I know it was pre-season, but... Um, you know, watching the attack of the four sides over the weekend was just, they all did the same. Did anyone see any innovation or was that just me? When I watched it and, and looked at the performance of the teams, and, and you're 100% right, it, it looked like pre-season games where they were in that situation where they were changing players in and out, they are running with different squads. Of course, with Moana Pacifica, Jim cancelling their pre-season game, it certainly threw, you know, that, threw some of those things out that maybe you were trying to, to practice and work on. But I think critically for me is, is I agree with you, JK. There's a shift that's been made in the Northern Hemisphere, the way that they are playing the game. And it's some fundamentals where you go, you know what, are we too afraid here in New Zealand right now to go away from what has been successful 10 years ago? It was a generation in the making of the way they played the game where all of a sudden there's just a, a different balance. And... And we can't necessarily play like the other sides, right? We can't necessarily go out and, and copy exactly what they do because we've got a different set of personnel. But there are some fundamentals there, some skill sets you're going, where you're going to need that. And it's shown that all of a sudden that, that pressure defence that you feel is always coming is, is, not, always, is not always there, you know. And, and so I, I, just, I just looked at it and, and I was just really impressed. You know, I, I like the fact I think... The balance of power, I think this Rugby World Cup we're going into next year, Jim, is going to be significantly closer um, than probably we've ever had. And the fact that it's not on neutral territory. It's in territory where all of a sudden all the players are in a position, all the teams are a lot more even, but they're still having to play against a French side that's close to home. They're up against an English side who's close to home. The fan bases will change the balance of power. And I think what we've seen it, and last year proved it, They'd closed the gap when we're tired, mind you, at the end of the year, at the end of a long season. But now we're seeing teams that are well and truly, um, I think, in the running to, to go into a Rugby World Cup. And it's all about timing, right? We've got a lot to do in the next 18 months to get our timing right. Jeff, the biggest thing for me when I look at the Six Nations is the skill of the tight five, the fatties, as, as JK loves to call them, from, from Ireland and France. We used to say that the all-black tight five, that New Zealand tight five, were more skillful, were fitter, had had all the the sort of X factor over their, particularly their northern hemisphere type fives. But I think if you look at the way Ireland and France played, uh, from one to eight, they were absolutely outstanding, and they were outstanding against the All Blacks last year uh, as well. And for me, going into the World Cup, that's the biggest challenge uh, for the for New Zealand rugby is to get 
particularly, I think, the front row. You know, you've got to say that Sam Whitelock and Scott Barrett and um, yeah, Brody Retallick are up there, but we've just got to get the front row to be as skillful as the front rows are for for Ireland and 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 France. And and that, for me, you know, or you guys well know, everything you fellas want to do out the back depends upon the dominance that the Ford's given. When you've got a Ford pack and a front row and a tight five that is fit, fast, and skillful, uh, it's very hard to counter that. That for me is the biggest the biggest step backwards that New Zealand rugby's made in the last couple of years. Well, I look at it, JK, though, and I look at the way the All Blacks have played and this game that they've put together and, like you say, this pod system is the fact now we've we've been through this generation this where we have played with the structure. Do you reckon that in some ways that's meant that that's almost been coached out of them? Uh, I mean, I think one of the, you know, when I always um, quote Wayne Smith, you know, play play with structure, but play with your heads up. If, um, you know, and if something's on, you take it. So that's not easy to train, I don't believe. But I do think that there has been some innovation in the Northern Hemisphere around those structures. So what I'm saying is that our pod system, I believe, which... I think New Zealand invented, you know, 10 years ago, is now, has now been added to and other sides are doing different stuff that I think is putting, especially the, especially the, the rush and fold in defence under pressure, which is something we've already struggled with. I think, I think the interesting question for me, um, you know, did we go away from the last World Cup that we lost um, and said, oh, if we're going to win the next World Cup, we actually need to be more dominant and more physical up front. Now, that's a philosophy, and that's okay if you did go down that philosophy, but I've always been under the philosophy that we have a type of player that is way more skilled, so we should play a different type of game. So last year, I think, and you know, COVID got in the way, we were expecting to see some innovation on attack. Um, but I don't know if we probably saw it, but you'd be, but we're seeing it in the northern hemisphere. So, if I look at that then, and so, and, and we'll use this to transition into Super Rugby because that's obviously where the All Blacks select their players from. They look at the form of their players. Now, that's it's There's maybe two different points there where you're going. Do they select from them, or is that where they look at? how players are, are delivering on a weekly basis. And I, you start looking at, well, this is the game we're trying to play. And the challenge that we have, of course, is the fact that we try to cover all of our bases, right? And the way that our players play. We cover all of our bases, not just to beat France and Ireland and South Africa and Australia and England. We, we, we have to cover our bases to beat everybody. So that means multiple styles. But the reality for me is, is that you start talking about some of the things that there's no doubt that the 2019 World Cup was a almost a throwback to 2003 and 2007, where defence, physicality won the day. England 2003 got across the line. Remember, I mean, it was a Johnny Wilkinson show. You then think about um, when in 2007, South Africa won that World Cup. And then in 2019, same thing. They went up there and, and we got suffocated out. Teams got suffocated out of winning a Rugby World Cup. Now... We're probably going to have to win one of those games in 2023 in France, whether it be against France, probably not because of the way that they're playing, but against either a South Africa or an England, we may have to try and do that. How do we go about doing that then? How do we go about beating that? Is what Ireland and France doing the formula or do we just have to play to our strengths and, and on a one-off performance go, you know what, this is where we have to rely on this is what we're better at. We can score enough tries to beat a team that's suffocating. Jim, I mean, JK, I mean, who wants to start? Because that's the critical point for me about if you're going to change, what is it we change to? I think that's a question uh, for Ian Foster because you pick a strategy and you pick a style and then you stick with it. So um, I don't think you can... I think some of the systems that, that we're talking about take a bit of time to embed... Right? So that, that would be my answer. I don't know about you, Jim. But surely sometimes you have to tailor your style to the players that you've got. And if you've got players that can't play the style that you want to play, then you need to change your style, don't you? Um, we're, 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 I don't think this all-black side is going to 
um, really win the tight battles at the moment against the likes of England and France. So somehow you have to find a different way of, of beating those two teams. Um, you know, we saw that, I, I guess, a little bit with South Africa last year. We got away with the win in the first one and not in the second one. There's no reason, though, if you look at the forwards that New Zealand have available, there's no reason why physically they can't match uh, the best that the Northern Hemisphere's got. I think we just lacked a little bit of skill execution under pressure last year, and, and, and that cost the All Blacks. Now, that was a hallmark of the All Blacks. There's no reason why you can't go back to that. You know, there's 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 just no reason why New Zealand can't produce the sort of players that can't take on and beat Ireland and, and France. I, I, I believe that they can. It's, it's down to, well, for me, guys, it's down to the coaching. Is Ian Foster up to it? You know, on the results that we've had so far, he's certainly got his work cut out for him to show that he is up up to it as a World Cup winning coach. Well, what you're seeing, though, what you're seeing out of France and, and, and Ireland, though, JK, and to the point about, and you mentioned skill under pressure and execution under pressure, is they've obviously formulated their plan about how they're going to find and create space and create attacking opportunities. I look at what we're trying to produce and I'm going, is that the best use of our players and the ability we have? And are we providing, like you say, are we creating the right type of player? And what is that for us? And, and, and let's talk about Super Rugby then now. Let's talk about what is obviously going to be a challenging tournament Given what's going on in New Zealand right now, Moana Pacifica are not playing. Their first game against the Blues is postponed on Friday. But when we go into this tournament right now, the mindset of these Super Rugby players, how challenging is it for them, right, when they're thinking to themselves, I want to, got re- I want to get reselected for the All Blacks. What it is, that, is it that they asked me to do to go out and play a certain way? That's what I got in 2021, uh, JK. I've been given all this information. Reviews have been done. But... I then go to my Super Rugby franchise and it's almost contradictory of, of the fact that it's not exactly the, the plan the All Blacks have for you. I mean, this is one of the challenges of this tournament, right? If you're a coach and a player is, is okay, what is, what, is, what is the most important thing right now? And for me, it's about, this is a new tournament, a new competition with 12 teams that needs to start with a bang. Can I just go back to, to, to just having a bit of a go at Jim? Because that's a shit answer, Jim, when you're talking about the All Blacks. Because every time I read something, you're saying, you know, Foster, Foster, Foster. I mean, he has been selected. He is the coach right through to the next World Cup. So I think it's an easy option attacking um, the coach, right? And regardless of what you think of him, we've got him and his staff through to the next World Cup. So what we need to do is try and come up with the best solution. So the question was our attack play. Now, I reckon our attack play needs to change. So... The All Black staff need to go, right, what can we do different? I, I mean, I don't like agreeing with you, Jim, as you know, because you annoy me at times. But um, the, the, thing that, the thing that you're right about is you've got to pick, um, you know, the style of, of play for your players. And so I'll come back at you with a question before we move on to Super Rugby. Do you believe that our rugby players, especially our front eight, are as skilled, or maybe just the front three, are as skilled as they used to be in the past? No, I think that's pretty clear that they're not. Um, And I think we've seen that over the last couple of years. Well, they may be as skilled as they were in the past, but the others have gone ahead of them. So maybe they've they've just stayed to the sort of skill level that we had when we won the World Cup uh, back in 2015. But I think you've seen the likes of France and Ireland get better. So uh, New Zealand need to need to get better. And look, I'm not suggesting. I, I know that Ian, Ian Foster's there. Ian Foster's he's a nice fella, and 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 he's been an okay coach. But you know, he did coach the All Blacks to their first ever loss against Argentina. He did coach them to back to back defeats last year. I'm not saying he should be sacked. I'm not saying he will be sacked. But I'm definitely saying he's got his work cut out from he and his coaching staff if they're going to win the World Cup and uh, next year. Uh, at the moment, you would have a look at the results that they've produced and the team and the style that they've produced and say that they're nowhere near close to winning a World Cup. Now, that's 18 months away. Plenty of stuff can happen between now and then, and hopefully it will. You know, I, I hope that they do get it right. But on the evidence that we've seen, you'd have to suggest they're not favourites to win the World Cup. Far from it. There'd be, I'd pick two other teams, at least maybe three other teams to, to be more favoured than the All Blacks. And so I come back to this you know, what they're getting at the middle of the year when their test matches this year, when they come up against Ireland, three test matches here 
in New Zealand at this stage. Of course, we know things certainly can change. We hope they don't. We hope that we are like the rest of the world in front of full stadiums, having great contests with great passion and getting a serious gauge. And Ireland come here with as strong a team as they possibly can. So what he gets out of Super Rugby, what he gets out of those players, and is it preparing them for the next level? Now, we talked about last year, uh, for two seasons now, the intensity and the rivalry in Super Rugby Aotearoa, where these teams week after week win against each other, and we're looking at it going, you and I were there live, JK. We're looking at these contests going, this is brutal. So is that not phys- physical enough? Are those encounters not physical enough to, to, to prepare our players? But Goldie, I mean, like you didn't think that um, the Six Nations was brutal on the weekend of, of the same intensity? Like, I, I just think that, I don't know why we're always coming up with excuses. I mean, the Northern Hemisphere... They play, you know, 48 games a year for their club, something like that. I don't know if that's, you know, don't quote me on the numbers. But they went out and played with incredible intensity halfway through a season. I mean, they started last August. So why do we keep coming up with, um, you know, it's really intense and the players are tired and all that sort of stuff? I just think we're making excuses for ourselves. Yeah, I agree. Look, guys, I can think back to 2007 when uh, Graham Henry brought in his um, member Goldie when they took all the players out of Super Rugby, all of the All Blacks, and they had that that big, um, you know, the, the, yeah, and the Graham Lowe inspired, you know, we're going to train them away from the game and that sort of thing. And then they turned up at the World Cup and they weren't match fit. Um, I remember saying to Graham Henry, Martin Johnson played 42 games last year, uh, you know, and, and Graham just being very dismissive of it. You, you, you go back to, I always remember uh, Jerry Collins saying players are called players because they like to play. I mean, we're having a super rugby competition kickoff here in New Zealand where some of the, the elite players are not playing because they need to have a little bit more rest. It, it beggars belief, you know. A, on the marketing side, when you want to you want to market a competition and, and get people excited about it. And B, as JK said, you just got to get out there and play. Play the game. You know, the more the the more we play, the better we get at it. Well, I'm sort of I'm sort of halfway with that halfway with that um, halfway with you there, Jim. Fully, but that's why you've got a squad, and I think you've got to rotate players nowadays, right? So so I, I'm I'm saying let's stop the excuses. I'm sick of hearing about it because I'm watching the rest of the world play as many games, and I'm watching incredibly intense and great games of. Of, of rugby in the in the Six Nations, which is five months into their comp. But I, I, st- I still think players get tired. So it's about squad rotation, but let's just take it off. Let's stop talking about it. I mean, super rugby is, is, is not that, not something special anymore, Goldie, for me. You know, I think I watch a lot of Northern Hemisphere rugby and while some of it gets back to old school stuff, a lot of it is really good rugby. You know, so super rugby, um, if you're a super rugby player, mate, you play and then you have a, a, a two to three weeks off and then you get together with the All Blacks. And mm. In some ways, that's probably what we know needs to change. And so we are now at 12 teams. We are just Australia and New Zealand. We've brought in the Fiji and Drua and uh, the Moana Pacifica have come into the, uh, into the competition. I mean, I look at it and almost to the fact that this is some ways then a start of a reset for me, JK. Uh, I think if I, I think about what you've just talked about there. I, I, I look at the squads, I look at the teams. I don't see a lot between them right now. I look at, you know, and I, in New Zealand I'm talking about here, I, I do think there's a distinct drop-off. And, and trans-Tasman competition last year proved that. There's a drop-off across the Tasman. There's the unknown um, with the, the Drua who had a good win against the Rebels in a pre-season game, which is obviously going to give them some confidence. But Moana have been devastated by positive COVID cases. So any sort of momentum they had in terms of their preparation is well and truly gone. So they're going to struggle. I think this is a competition that's going to find it really hard to get some, I suppose, uh, feeling of entirety, entirety because we're, we're sort of going to have those two divisions again, us and Australia, until we get the chance for crossover games. But I look across the squads, and even on the weekend, to your point, about when you watch those preseason games, there was a similarity about how everyone is playing. So I, I just go to myself, 
that means it doesn't it doesn't distinguish between the teams. All the teams have got good loose forward trios. You know, all the teams have got an element of talent up front. You know, um, we're going to get to this point where I don't think there'll be a lot between them, and I'm not sure, J.K. For a start, that this is exactly what you know we were hoping for out of this new competition to start off with. The Crusaders, how can you judge them without Ethan Blackadder or Richie Mwanga for the first three weeks? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, like, I firmly believe, and this comes back to right across the board, that we need to look at our structure. I think that, you know, and I've said to you guys before, I think that the NZR need to carve off some of the um, television rights and let the super rugby sides uh, live by themselves, support themselves, share up the contracting. Um, and then, you know, even the jerseys look the same, guys. We're like, you know what I mean? The way we play is the same. And I remember, I remember, um, you know, Warren Gatlin coming home and said that we're, we're all wanting to play the same. Now, I agree with what you said at the beginning of the podcast, Jeff. I think that's put us in good stead up until the last World Cup. But I think we need to evolve now. And part of that is giving some license to the franchises to go and stand on their own two feet, get different sponsors, have a different style of play. Um, and I think if we do that, we'll start bringing a bit more innovation back into the side. You know, taking All Blacks out of the competition. Now, let's get me right. I understand why they do it, but I just think it's devaluing the competition. And, um, you know, I think we need to look at different ways to making sure that we keep our um, players fresh, you know, they, like they say, oh, you know, we do that so they stay in the country. And I get that, you know, we, we give them financial sabbaticals to go overseas. I get that. and I support that. I want them to make as much money as they can, but not to the detriment of our fan and our competitions. That's my only issue. So it's no one's fault, people, but how do we actually have the courage to look at this? I thought there might be a reset um, after COVID, and we're still in COVID, you know, it still could wreck um, the first few weeks. But for me, we need to say, okay, um, are we going to continue to be New Zealand rugby all-black centric, or are we going to try and create competitions, um, you know, like the super competition to be better, the you know the the MPC to be better. That that's how, what I feel. I just feel we're homogenised. Is that the right word? Homogenised, Jim. You're it is, and 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 it's because, and I'm not criticising this at this stage, but it's because we have always said that the success of the All Blacks is paramount. So everything New Zealand rugby does is focused on the All Blacks winning. So that has meant that we have had a policy which I support of only picking the All Blacks from at home and, and, and those sorts of things and, and everything working on that pyramid to make the All Blacks the best. I just wonder if we need to loosen that a little bit. Wouldn't it be wonderful if within Super Rugby you could pick the All Blacks from any Super Rugby team and then all of a sudden you've got guys popping up playing for the force or... or you know the rebels or the waratahs, and you're able to pick them from there. I just, I, I'm just suggesting maybe you know we've got Pablo Montera playing for the Crusaders. So if it's okay for a player to come into New Zealand to play, what about allowing one of our guys to go and play for the Waratahs and and pick from the Waratahs? I mean, guys, we've basically picked out of Japan for the last couple of years with Bodie Bowden Barrett and and um, uh, TJ Petanata and and um, Brody Retallick. So. You know, we are picking from overseas. Maybe there's a little bit of X factor and excitement and maybe that thing that you're talking about of of not having a similarity uh, if we allow a little bit of movement within the Super Rugby competition, player movement. I firmly... Well, Jim, Jim you know you know my belief on that, right? What, what I think is that we need to bring Japan into our competition and let players play up there if they want to and pick them from, from, from that competition. But Jim, JK, Jim, I think 12 is the number, in my view, in terms of teams we need. The trouble is, and those players, is, is, it's what Australia do. It's yeah. what they do across the Tasman, and it's the concessions that they're prepared to make. Because this new 12-team competition has got a two-year, let's wait and see and look how this thing go and see where we go next. Let's see where this performance looks at. Well... You know, I like the fact there's 12 teams. I like the fact it's going to go to the quarterfinals, which means the top eight sides will get an opportunity 
to play in a playoff scenario. So all of a sudden there'll be teams that will be in, in the hunt deeper into this tournament. But what we're going to see, without a doubt, five New Zealand teams will be in that eight. They will make the eight. They will dominate this competition and then it'll be about where they finish based on bonus points. Australia, to me, are the ones that have got the big question mark hanging over their heads. And to your point, the only way that we can strengthen them is to reduce the number of teams they have, which they're, they're, they're inherently against, which I think is philosophically wrong, because they're thinking they need to widen their base. Well, I, I'm not 100% sure. I think that's making their performances in Super Rugby damaging. It takes them all year to recover by the time they get to you know, midway through the Rugby Championship. They've only just started playing some sort of decent um, sort of footy. They need to up their game, JK, for me. It's Australia who need to work out what it is they are going to do because that's when it opens up the doors to Japan. Because if they reduce their teams down, the Japan teams, to me, are the ones that could come in. And that's where this player movement you're talking about. I get the sense in two years' time there'll be a, a major reform of, of how selection is done if they see, if they want, JK, this tournament to move forward. Yeah, but, mate, it changes every year in some way. We had that stupid rule where you could come fifth and you had a home semi. I mean, we just... Why is the Six Nations so popular? It's consistent. It's consistent. It's consistent in a window. It's consistent. You know it's coming. You look forward to it. You save up your money. You travel to Rome. You travel to Ireland. I mean, it is consistent. And what we do, we're changing, like, we're changing our tournament the whole time. But I don't think we're asking ourselves the right questions. We want to keep our guys in the Southern Hemisphere. We want to keep them in New Zealand. Is that possible? You know, where are we going to get our money to finance our game from? Besides Silver Lake, which we need to talk about. Um, yes. You know, it needs to come from our neighbours are not France you know, in England, our neighbours are Asia and Pacific. So we need to create a tournament and leave it there for 10 years with Pacifica represented, and that's happened, but also with Asia represented, you know. Uh, put a franchise in, in Hong Kong or in China and then bring the Japanese in, you know. We've got to do that because that J Japan is supporting our game as it is. I mean, Patrick Tupolotto is over there earning, mm -hmm. you know, I call it a financial sabbatical, and they have a great time. It's fantastic. The rugby's really cool. You know, is it as intense as ours? No. And that's probably why guys like Brody and Bowden really enjoyed it, you know. But we need to start saying, let's stop changing this, guys. Yeah, I get that. But once again, though, it's, it's, you need to improve the strength of the competition. We've got Damian McKenzie playing in Japan. Jim, if you're talking about an investment in the game, let's just transition the last five minutes here. Just quickly, we need to talk about, and the word is that this Silver Lake and New Zealand rugby um, deal that's been on the table for a long, long time now, which we, probably midway last, JK, uh, last year, JK, we decided we were out of the conversation. We said, well, let's separate ourselves. You guys need to do this behind closed doors, where the doors have been closed for a long time. Between the New Zealand Rugby Players Association, between New Zealand rugby and obviously Silver Lake. It sounds as though, Jim, there's going to be some sort of agreement that needs yep. to go, I think, to the next board meeting. Is that right? Yeah, it um, sounds like it. And, boy, there's been some massive concessions by the sound of things. Uh, New Zealand rugby really have had to, you know, if you think of the, the deal that initially came out, it will be almost, you know, you, you won't be able to compare them. Um, so you have to wonder, you have to wonder whether the Players Association wasn't correct when they said, Straight off the bat, this is not a good deal. We need to go back and have a look at this. If 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 all of the concessions and all of the changes to the deal uh, that we're hearing are true, then what on earth was New Zealand promoting? You know, a year ago, eighteen months ago, you've 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 just got to wonder about that, and you've got to wonder also about the pressure on Mark Robinson, the CEO, uh, and and what that might do to his tenure as as CEO. It's uh, I think there's there's a lot to come out. Jim, Jim, you're forgetting something there, mate. There's two sides to this story. Um, and if I remember rightly, the Players Committee, Rob Nickel and David Kirk, said they would never go with these people because they don't have the values of the game in mind. So, I mean, if, if, if Mark Robinson's under pressure, surely those two are under pressure. Yep, I agree. I agree with that as well. I think Rob Nickel has far too much influence of, over the game of rugby in New Zealand. Um, and there's got to be a calibration there, there too. So... Yeah, some interesting times, I think, when we find out exactly what the detail is of, of the Silver Lake deal.
Well, I, I look at this and I go, both sides are going to have to come out uh, when, when things are all said and done. And at the same time, they've gone through and done a brand new collective bargaining agreement between New Zealand Rugby and the players, uh, NZRPA, the Players Association. So obviously there has been a lot of change to what has been done. I'll be interested to see what, <clears throat> what role the provincial unions now look at it from. Going, well, the original deal that we signed off on, agreed upon, was, was this. Is it going to be the same? Clearly not. Um, philosophically, JK, I'm just interested to see if both parties can genuinely come out, and I'm sure New Zealand Rugby are thinking about this, and say we have done and acted what we think is in the best interests of the game collectively, as a whole, because that's what both sides, I believe, were championing. Championing. You know, That's what they were saying right from the very start, is that we're coming from a point of view that we're, one side's looking at a huge development and investment into the game. The other was talking about a lot about, well, no, we need to protect the legacy of what the All Blacks stand for. And we feel as though there's another way. Well, it doesn't appear as though, is this another way? Is it different, significantly different enough to say, you know what, we can believe in this deal, these people, and this is the right step forward for New Zealand rugby. I, I think how this, you know, I'd be interested to see how both sides come out and deliver their involvement and what they believe it stands for. Yeah, but hang on a minute, Jeff. I mean, there's no way that, um, you know, that two parties should be coming out. NZR, Mark Robinson, is the CEO and the players work for the NZR. So <laughs> Mark Robinson needs to come out with a statement only, right? Now, my other question is, if there's been a change in the deal, which party suffered? Was it grassroots? What what suffered? And we need some transparency around this because, um, you know, you, as, as, as a player, as a person, I work for someone. They're my boss. We can agree to disagree, but then we've got to commit, right? So I'd like to know a little bit more detail around the percentages, and if the deal has changed, um, if it's more, that's cool, and everyone gets a bit more, that's cool, right? But if it's not, um, if it's not, who suffers? Is it grassroots? Is it the players that had to give less? Um, is it the NZR that got less? What really happened? Yeah, and I think that's what everyone, everyone is waiting on. What Everyone's looking to see exactly what and how New Zealand rugby benefit from this, mate. It's always great to chat with everyone, always great to catch up. There's been obviously a lot of discussion, a lot of talk. We've got Super Rugby Pacific coming up. We can obviously catch up with Jim Kays on media. That's on Facebook. And JK, JK14, is that the best place to check you out and what you've got going on? Yeah, JK on Instagram. I don't really post a lot. I don't really use any other formats, but yeah, that's me. You can find me on Instagram. You've always got some uh, promotion going on, a new bottle of wine, a new release, right? Yeah, no, it's actually John Kerwin, 14. That's how, oh, that's how many times I just had a look, yeah. All right, all right, mate. Well, we'll talk to you um, during the week. We've got our first show coming up next weekend. It should be all go. should be all good. Cool. Cheers, guys. So, there's been 195 NRL games, 20 tests for the Kiwis, and one game for the Blues. <laughs> Roger Tuovasa's check is back in Rugby Union. Thanks for joining us. Great to have a chat. Ironically, the start's at a wet rugby league park in Wellington, yeah. pre-season against the Hurricanes. Oh, first thing I want to ask you, Roger, is, is how were the nerves going in? I remember when I went from one sport to another, and the first time, and even now, I remember when I started playing golf and people were watching me. How were the nerves from the fact that maybe no crowd, but how did you feel about, you know, all of a sudden when that first whistle goes and goes, well, we're into this, it's, it's on. Yeah, it was um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, I think I was the rain kind of helped a bit with the nerves because before I was going in, make sure I nail my job, make sure I'm in the right position, make sure. But with the rain, all I was just thinking about, make sure I catch this ball, make sure I'm in the, I don't slip over, I, I don't miss a tackle in this rain. So um, the rain played a part in, in that, just helping me just focus on on the little things. So yeah, it wasn't too bad, and I'm glad that you know got one game um, under the belt, uh, not official game, but it was still a game. Was there a million million things? going on in your head leading into the game? You know, all of the work you've done, all the training, the delays in getting to play, given the fact you didn't get the chance last year because of obvious circumstances. Did you sort of, how did you, how did you reduce it all down to the fact, okay, 
Um, I'm just going to, did you even enjoy it? Did you even enjoy that, that, that 50 minutes? No, I, I loved it. You know, I really enjoyed it. Um, I've, I've been hanging out waiting for a game, um, you know, especially I, I came over quite early from the Warriors to try and get a game with the Auckland NPC, but that fell short. And then, you know, went into another preseason with the Blues and then now I'm getting a game. I'm excited. Here we go. And, you know, we're in pouring rain and the rugby league park in Wellington and, you know, everything just, you know, it's exciting. And I just, I was just happy to play and uh, made a few mistakes there, which I take the lessons and, you know, got to get some body contact again and go live. So, yeah. No, Look, you played exciting. in secondary school, though. I mean, and you, you, were, you, were, you were great at school. Did it, did it feel like the same game, though, you played when you were a kid? Definitely not. Um, yeah, I know a lot of people saying, oh, he's played rugby before. He should be sweet. And definitely it's a different game. You know, it's a different type of environment. There's a lot of um, little techniques and tips there that I'm still trying to work on. And um, especially in that ruck, you know, I'm, I'm just running into the ruck trying to, trying to clean someone up. I know there's a high ruck, there's a, you got to latch on, there's a clean out. It's, there's all little things that uh, where at the moment it's, it's real technical. I'm trying to I learn played 60 tests and never went to a ruck. I mean, that's the, that was the beauty of when I played. My number on the back designated you don't need to go to that ruck. You know, you guys have got to do it all now. I mean, you talked about it's the preseason, right? And I wanted to ask you, you've had years and years of preseasons in rugby league, and yep. they're notoriously, like Legend tells me, they're notoriously tough, right? They just they run you and run yep. you and run you. And it, it, Does it, yep. this feel significantly different? It does. It does massively. And I actually really enjoyed this preseason um, because there was a big month where we came in in November. As you do with the with the league, you come in early November and you just get to groundwork. You just go head down, you go to work. You don't hardly see the ball. You're just getting conditioned. And in December, instead of doing another um, groundhog day, the, the Auckland or Blues actually said, okay, go away and everything is player-driven. So that's, that's one thing I felt was, was awesome. I, I was able to go away and focus purely on my craft and, and I didn't have a schedule to it. I had to do it all myself. I had to link up with coaches. I had to link up with other players away from the Blues environment. And I thought that's, that's where you actually put in why you're a professional athlete because you make these decisions where you go in the, in the league, it's from Monday to it's Friday or Saturday. It's this time, 70 and start, 90. And it's, they, they paint it all out for you where... In rugby, that's the probably the best thing I enjoyed. It was it was all player driven. Come that whole month, and, that, and was that a case of you then knowing, you know, you, you get more familiar with the things that you know you need to work on. You're sitting there going, you know what, I've got that nailed. I'm in great condition. I'm in good nick. I don't need to go through yeah. the, the overdo that too much. Is that what you got the sense you were able to do? So if I came into training, I would have done a little bit of passing, a little bit of kicking, a little bit of speed, a little bit of power, a little bit of where I can say, okay. I'm coming in as a midfielder. I want to be able to distribute the ball real quick. I want to work on my passing. I need to work on my rucks. I don't know how to clean. I need to put more emphasis on that. So that's probably the best thing about it. I was able to get real key focusing and just work on the crafts and just be real specific with it and not just try and do all the little things over the, over the one month. So do you think then, uh, now you've been in this rugby environment, yes, you've just played the one game and, you talk about pre-seasons. I'm really interested in the cultures, the, the two different cultures, because the, the games themselves at the heart of it have a similarity. But, of course, the rules are completely different. But, but there's a different level or they're two different professional games. I mean, have you, have you thought about that already? The fact that, you know, what, what, what does feel different in terms of a culture of a rugby team versus a culture of a rugby league team? Um, not so much, to be honest. I haven't really, because my, my head's just been just down and just trying to learn as much as I can. And um, With the coaches, you know, boys will be boys. It's always a great time with the team. And, um, you know, I think both similar, the Warriors and the and the Blues are still trying to, you know, trying to go that next level with their accountability and be able to put it straight on each other and, and try and be as, as good as other teams um, that you've heard of. Um, but that's probably the main the main two. You know, we all enjoy our time together, but we're both trying to, trying to go that next step about, you know, drilling each other and tipping each other up and trying to be better, um, because everyone everyone wants to everyone wants to be be great in some way. And um, but what's the again? It's that player driven in the rugby side that I'm, I'm really enjoying. Is there banter on both sides though? Let's be honest, like you know, like is there a bit of give and take? Yeah. You know, is is it is that side of it even even the same? Yeah, that's that's that side's the same. Which um, I get, like I was saying, boys will be boys. You know, everyone's competitive. Everyone who's who's in the 
rugby league or rugby union code. You've got to be a competitor and um, they compete in every little things. If we're not on the field, we're competing at cards. If we're, you know, on in the gym, we're trying to compete on who can lift the most. And that's that's the same, which I, I enjoy that. So hold on, so you're playing cards. Is there old school cards going on? Like, what, 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 what are you guys playing? We used to play up the creek and we used to play all these things. What is it? Is it still yeah. rolling? Is that still around? Yeah, 500. Um, uh, me and me and Skivy are, are giving lessons out here, giving Luke and Lasatius a lesson. Um, a bit of poker yeah. going on, a bit of poker game going on. Um, what else is there? Is, um, yeah, Hearts, there's all sorts Hearts, of trying to learn. We used to call it Bitch, I think was what the name of it. They used to call it. But, um, yeah, wow. but I mean, to, to me, this it, it's great to know you still do those things, you know, because... Because like you say, there's a lot of time when you're with each other, particularly even now. I mean, you've got three weeks of it, right? You know, yeah. and, and yeah. the All Blacks last year went through yeah. sort of three months of it. So, I mean, that, that chemistry you find in a group. I've got to ask you this, though, because I have a huge amount of respect on both sides of the sports, right? I'm sort of quizzing you a little bit here because I'm fascinated <laughs> by the whole thing. Is there a different toughness, like a toughness between a rugby league player and a, and a rugby union player? You know, because... What rugby league players have to sort of put themselves through, and the NRL competition is incredibly tough and difficult. Like it's 22, 23 weeks of continuous grind, and then they throw in a few yeah. test matches for you to go and play. And you know that you get the sense that there's a the fact that you have to play a bit banged up a lot, right, to to, to get yourself through it. Do you think there's a different toughness between the two sports? Yeah, I think that's a um, yeah, that's a really good question, and. I don't think I'm going to have that answer for you today, which is the toughest because, um, yeah, you'll get both both um, codes fighting at it. But it's different. That's probably the, the word. They're both different and they're both tough in their own way. Um, with the league and in the league there, of course, it's, you know, up and down, crashing constantly and there's less stoppages. But in union, there's just the constant mental of mental um, fatigues of just watching what's in front of you, smashing your body. And, and then there's a, bigger, there's a lot yeah. of bigger boys in, in union as well. So... There's a lot of difference. So there's, there's different toughness, and um, they're both tough. Um, which is tougher? Nice, yeah, nice yeah, but that's try. the thing. I mean, I just get the sense. I, I absolutely, I respect both sides of it, and and you can see how even in rugby league, the games changed with the the six again, and you know all of a sudden players seem to be that have to be that little bit fitter. Um, but it's an incredibly physical and dominating sort of sport. You know that you have, have you. Have you checked in with the Warriors boys? Is there still a bit you know a conversation going on with them? And have they asked you how things are going? Yeah, for sure. I've, um, I think the one thing I keep telling them about how, how much I'm loving the preseason, and um, I think they get a bit jealous about that, that period that I get off in, in December. Um, they couldn't believe it, um, and I was trying to tell their, their trainer and their coaches, but I think they're too tied up with their old school. But no, I still try and keep in touch as much as I can. Um, I even do with the roost, my old Roosters mates too, so I'm uh, still a big fan of both the, the Warriors and the Roosters and continue to support, especially the, um, the Warriors. Has boys. there been any point, Roger, where you've gone – you know, even through all of these things and you've gone to yourself, I wonder whether I made the right call here. You know, I'm, you know, is there any point you've gone, man, this is, this is, has it been, has it been tougher than you thought it would be? Has it the fact, no, 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 I'm, I'm starting to get it. Has there been a point even when in the game you've gone, yeah, yeah, uh, this, this is something I really, I know I've made the right decision. I just want to, I just want to keep doing this and playing and playing and playing. Yeah, it just got to the, the towards the back end of the preseason. I just wanted more and more games, so that's why with the Wellington game, I was really excited because you know we we trained as trained as much as we could, and then come to games, and that's that's where I said that you know I really just want more and more games so I can get a feel for it. But I'm definitely really happy with my decision I made. You know, I'm home, I'm with my family, I'm playing for the Blues, another Auckland team, and I grew up in Auckland, and um, you know I'm, I'm really happy with where I am, and you know now in Queenstown, but a good bunch of crew, uh, boys here. And, um, yeah, I just want more games so I can get, get the feel of it. But, yeah, still not 100% on, on my position and my roles. I need to focus and put my head down and just keep How much games. time are you spending with the coaches? I mean, you know, when, you, when you're sitting there and going, you know what, I need to know. Is that, I mean, is that, is that a place where you know that you need to absorb the information? Is that, is that the place you know where you need to spend your time? Coaches and players are my, my go-to. Um, those are the guys who I go to and go, hey, I just did this. What do you think? Or I go to the coaches, hey, was this right? Was that right? Um, what could I have done here? Um, those are the questions that I go to with the coaches. And I feel like I need to. Uh, there's um, one more preseason game before round one. And, um, yeah, that will, um, that's the, the dream at the moment is try and make that you round one. Is it bring it on for you? Is it just bring it on now? And, and, yeah. and I, I want to ask you this. How much of Super Rugby had you watched 
before you came back to the game? Had you had kept an eye on it? Had you watched a lot of it? I mean, were you uh, an All Blacks fan? Were you that traditional, you know what, I want to watch the All Blacks play? You know, was that, you know, you weren't just focused on the one thing you were doing and obviously and doing it incredibly well. Was there always that when you look at the game of rugby union going, you know what, you know, I, I, I look at that and I've watched it and I'm, I've got a sense I want to be a part of it? Yeah, I definitely follow follow the rugby and especially the Blues again being Auckland and whenever the New Zealand teams go ahead with each other and um, I, I came, I think I moved back in 2016 and 2017 or 18 they had the Lions tour and I, I was lucky enough to go to one of those games and the stage that they were playing on, I just kind of sat there and looked around and said, wow, this is this is the stage playing in Eden Park, full stadium. These are the stages and because I'm a competitor, this, this is where I want to be challenged in the big stages like this and you know, a, little, um, a lot of times that played in the back of my mind, should I have a crack at this or not? But, yeah, now that, you know, I'm here, I'm, I'm really excited about this this new journey that I'm in and just ready to get stuck into just it. Just lastly, mate, and, and look, I, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, to have similar opportunities in sport, but there's always that little bit of expectation, you know, the, the fact there's been a lot of talk and a lot of chat, and, I, and that's why I'm grateful you've had the chance to come have a yarn to us, you know, because... Yeah. I understand and yeah. I get that, you know, because it's it, you want to get out and just let, let the play... Um, do it for you, right? Yeah. You just want to. I'll let my, my talking yeah. do it on the field, you know. But for you, how, how are you dealing with that? I mean, who are the people you you know you um that you have to you, you're going to trust to to support you through the the good and bad? Because like you know, there's going to be some highs and lows, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like you said, that this was my my biggest thing was not to come out here and um, throw the pom poms and say, you know, here I am, I'm a blue man. I was meant to. I really wanted to make it official by putting all my work into the preseason and earning a spot in round one and um, putting it all on the field so I can really earn the groundwork and earn, earn the players' respect before I'm out here waving the flag. Um, but, yeah, for me, I, I put my expectation on myself. So um, doing that just means I'll just clear out all the other noise and i just go to work. And, um, you know, there's always my, my old man there, there's my manager there, there's um, a little circle that I have that I, I keep going back to. But at the end of the day, there's only the expectation is on myself. So... Um, any other noise is, is just noise. For me. I think that's a perfect way to end it, mate. It really is because I, I'm excited you're here. I'm realistic though as well. The fact that it'll take some time, but I can't wait to see you in round one. It's going to be in Dunedin. It's going to be under the roof, even better because you'll have perfect conditions to go out and show what you're capable of. Thanks for joining us on the Breakdown Pod, mate. Look after yourself, and I can't wait to see you during the season. Cheers, mate. Thank you, Jess. Stay safe. Well, the great part about having your own podcast is you get to pump up the tyres of your own team. And so now I'm going to go fully unbiased on the fact that the Hollanders can win Super Rugby Pacific. And Joey Wheeler is the man, our southern correspondent, Anna Dunedin, who's going to help me do this. We're going to look at the roster. We're going to look at the draw. We're going to look at what they've got coming up. The fact they're at home, pretty much, if we know for the first three weeks, maybe based in Queenstown, the odd game in Dunedin. Joey, but... Bottom line, it's great to have you with us. Looking forward to chatting through the course of the year on the Breakdown Pod. When you look at the Highlanders, what gives you the confidence and belief in the fact that you're almost prepared to put your hard earned down, the Highlanders can be right there? Oh, look, it's always it's always a tough ask for the Highlanders, right? Um, they, they never go into these competitions as favourites, Goldie. Um, when you've only got three All Blacks on your roster compared to the, the 17 or 20 that the Crusaders and Blues seem to be able to put in their teams. But I think that the confidence I have in this team is that they've, they've built a team over the past couple of years where guys have developed nicely under coach Tony Brown. I, I think of the likes of a, an Ethan DeGruyter, a Shannon Frizzell, um, a Falau Fakatava, Aaron Smith, obviously. Um, and, and these guys are coming of age. They're coming into their, into their best form. I think a few of those guys need to have big years for the Highlanders to succeed at the pointy end of the competition. But as always with this Highlanders side, teams, if they underestimate them, they underestimate them at their peril. And, and that's when the Highlanders are at their absolute best. Um, and, and I think teams will do that because you look at that pack, yeah, there's there's not many names, but you've got a guy like Jermaine Ainsley coming back after a serious ankle injury last year, the big tight end prop that's played it, uh, you know, has been capped for the Wallabies, and, and he'll be looking for a massive year. And I think the loss of Ash Dixon, yes, that that's massive in terms of his leadership, but I think the recruitment of um, Andrew Mathalao and Reese Marshall is, is really savvy. Here's two guys that have 
you know, played a lot of footy between them. Um, Reese Marshall, worldly, played a lot of lot up in Europe. So he brings a lot of experience and a lot of skill to that pack. And then the second row, Putty Putty Parkinson being out for the year, that's a huge loss. But I, I think, yeah, I, they've got the they've got the makings of a really nice side. But it's all going to sit pretty heavily on Aaron Smith and and Mitch Hunt's shoulders to to drive them around the park and to get them into good areas. But they're definitely a sniff goldie. And 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 as you know, me and you, we always are very, very hopeful that this Highlanders team can can tip up uh, the big dogs. Well, but I go back and look at last year's Super Rugby Trans-Tasman and the fact they were able to make the final. I think the nature of the way they play the game certainly suits against the fact we are going to be playing against the Australian teams, the Fijian Drua and the Moana Pacific. And so this is not Super Rugby Aotearoa. This is not with the fact that every single week they're going to come up against that quality opposition that is incredibly strong up front, which is incredibly physical, which tests the experience and depth of the Highlanders, you're going to get a situation where there are all these other games where they can go out and not just win, but win with bonus points. Now, you win with bonus points, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you get some advantages, some key advantages at the pointy end of the competition, which is about getting playoff positions where you can get home games. So I like the nature of the group. One of the other reasons I like is the fact they don't have three All Blacks. They don't have this huge number of players whose focus throughout the course of a season is on, how do I get myself reselected again? How do I get myself back in the frame? Okay, there's an element of distraction that comes with that. And also that they're not on any sort of restrictions. There's no the situation where they're having to rest them for games. We've seen already that the Crusaders have lost both Richie Moanga and Ethan Blackadder for the first three games. That will affect their performance. I think for the Highlanders, you look at their group, I love the fact that Across the board, in all of the areas, there's like-for-like like experience in most cases. There's like-for-like like ability. So you're not having that significant drop-down. And I look at, you know, when you think about Fatuli Pyre, you've got C.O. Tompkinson's, you've got uh, Thomas Umanga Jensen, Nani Punavai, and Scott Gregory. There's five guys who can yeah. all do the job for you. So when you get someone who takes a knock, who takes a week off, you're replacing them with someone I think who can go out and, and perform. Now, the loss of Josh Uwani was obviously, for a lot of Highlanders fans, I think they're concerned, going, all of a sudden you lose a talent. Unfortunately for Josh, there wasn't a consistency of performance, which I think put pressure on the group. Now, the consistency is, well, Mitch Hunt knows it's his group, it's his team. You've got good old Marty Banks rolls around again. He can't help himself. He just keeps lingering in the south, doesn't he? Down in the, in the Invercargill, just toiling away, does old Marty, and says, I'm available, I'm here. You know what you're going to get with Marty, and we saw that with the Stags. He he's always performs whenever it comes to those those clutch moments, Goldie. He's the guy that you want coming in. And if Mitch has a little injury where he takes two or three weeks off, we know, you know that Marty is going to do a, a fantastic job, understands the way the Highlanders play, understands the DNA of this side and the way that these guys want to play. Two guys you mentioned there that I'm really excited to see um, this year, Fatuli Pyre and Thomas Umaga Jensen. Those two guys both missed the whole season last year through injury. And the, I think that was one area in that Hollander side where they were, you know, um, Scott Gregory did a job for them at 12, but he's not your blockbusting 12 that's going to break the line and, and give that offload. I think Thomas Umaga Jensen, from all reports down here, is looking in some sort of nick. I don't want to put the, the mockers on him because he's had a, a horrid run with injury. But, man, if that guy can string games together, he is going to be in the conversation for that next that next step because he, he's a guy who's 115, 116 kilo, six foot two, the ability to carry hard on the game line, make bust through tackles and give that offload, that, that's, that's the ingredients that the All Blacks have been missing. That's the ingredients that this Highlander side have been missing. And then with a guy like Fatuli, we've seen what he's done for the Marco. We saw what he did for the Crusaders when he was there uh, the previous year. If those two can combine and get their combination going really, really well, they're going to be a serious... You've been serious talking to Brownie. You've been talking to Brownie. Because he's been in my ear about the fact well, he, knows, he knows exactly that combination you're talking about. And you've seen it firsthand. You've seen it live. Brownie's been in my ear as well saying, you know what, he just hopes they can stay healthy. Because that, like you say, that punch in the midfield, that ability to get them some sort of momentum. I'm fascinated to see how they play. The fact that Clark Dermody obviously did a really good job last year when he was interim head coach. Brownie's come back and when he had that responsibility. So all of a sudden you feel as though there's a real growth, uh, growth in the coaching staff as well. 
and, yeah. and the way that they're impacting the players. Um, I, I, you talked about a, a couple of loose forwards, and Shannon Frizzell, it's a massive year for Shannon Frizzell. You know, after all of the challenges he faced in 2021, but the impact he has at Super Rugby is significant. And I think for him, you look at the combination of players we had last year when Sam Kane was out, Billy Harmon was a standout player. He was a guy that came down from the Crusaders who really was just missing opportunity. That's all he was missing, was getting the chance to play some time. James Lynch is on the other end of the back, relentless. So, so once again, I come back to that fact, um, Marino Michele Tu'u. Uh, what they add, what they bring, Hugh Renton will be better for another year of Super Rugby. And then you bring in a couple of old dogs, the Evans boys. They rock on down to Dunedin, and you, you're bringing that level of experience. Gareth Evans, to me, has been an underrated player for a long, long time in terms of how you impact in three loose forward positions. So there's always going to be that challenge. I, how confident are you, though, that particularly at scrum and line-out time, areas of expertise, they're going to be solid enough They're just because they just need to be solid. You know, they just need to be able to provide a platform. Are you? Ex- they'll be good enough well and truly against the Australian teams, but we're talking the first seven yeah. or eight rounds are going to be against New Zealand-quality teams. Moana Pacifica's got a bit of time. They've got some developing to do. Can that front five do enough up front? That's always the challenge, right? Against, um, I think, the Crusaders, Blues, and probably the Chiefs. Uh, definitely the Crusaders and Blues. We know, everyone knows that they, they use their, their set piece as you know, their, their threat in terms of building pressure to, to then get penalties to then put them in the right end of the field. Um, I think the Highlanders last year had one of the best-performing lineouts in the competition, Goldie. So um, you, you mentioned Clark Dermody. He is a, a smart operator in that um, in that respect. He He's really shrewd with, with his plays week to week. He mixes things up. His, his specials in terms of their mall specials, always something different happening, different pitches to throw... Uh, the, the, those teams like the Crusaders and Blues off because they are so um, so set piece dominant. But yeah, you, an old Wiley campaigner like uh, Gareth and and Bryn, they're going to be massive to that group to make sure that that set piece is operating at, at its peak. And I, I think we talked about Jermaine Ainsley earlier. He's going to be a huge part of making sure that that scrum and Ethan DeGroote as well carrying on his form that we saw him take off to make sure that their their seat piece does get well, it performs well. And and if not get parity, dominate. So that, that'll be their mindset going into these games. They'll want to dominate teams with their set piece, but they know that they're up against it, against those bigger sides, and, and they're probably a few kilos down, but what they do technically and what they do in terms of their preparation uh, is world-class. I know I know Clark puts a lot of time and energy into that. So, yeah, they'll be well-prepared, mate, and, and I think that those two guys that you alluded to, Gareth and, and Bryn, will be a massive part of, of that. And I think Gareth's influence on that loose forward group uh, because yeah, there's always going to be injuries. There's always going to be guys coming out. You'll see him play all those three positions, I think, throughout the year. Lastly, for a guy who did enough hanging out in the back three to understand what it looks like from the back, <laughs> roaming around, the range of skills, Joey. <laughs> who's going to be? Who's going to put up their hand and say, I am the number one fullback yeah. for the Highlanders in 2022? Because to me, that's an area where they're going to need someone to in some ways maybe play above themselves uh, given the position and how important it is? Yeah, it's a challenging one, isn't it? Like, you, you look at the, the the guy that was there week in, week out last year was Jordan Ariki, and he, he's obviously out for the season this year. Um, oh, that, this is the one position since Ben Smith's left that the Highlanders have struggled to to find a, a constant to, to put on that, that 15 jersey, and... and I suppose everyone always compares the person that puts that jersey on to Ben Smith as well, which is which probably isn't fair because no one's yeah. You know, he, he's a once in a generational player apart from yourself, Goldie. Once he took over your um. And where your where is he? Where is Ben? Where is Ben there? Oh, Ben's floating around Dunedin. Um, yeah, he's floating around mainly on the golf course, mate. Um, so has no one knocked on his door? I mean, maybe I should give him a call. See what he's up yeah. to. That's a, you know. It's, there is that opportunity there if there are injuries that Ben Smith could be available for this side to, to come in as an injury replacement. But obviously, the hands are tied in terms of at the moment. But yeah, I think the, the guy... Oh, the, the, you've got me going now. I mean, yeah. we're favourites to win the title, Blood Hammers. You know that. I mean, all of a sudden, the, odd, the odds change. I better, <laughs> The moment we get word, let me know. So I get on the TAB account and go, right, I'm, I'm in before. All my favourites. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I think Sam Gilbert, mate, to me, for me, Sam Gilbert will get the first crack. A guy that I, I think we'd love to see get back to his best, everyone would, is Solomon Alomalo. We just, we just haven't seen, I'm not sure, but I've heard some rumours that he might be struggling a little bit with his mental health at the moment, and, and that's really, really sad. But I'd just love to see him get out there because we all know how talented and how good he could be. And if if he is struggling in that in that respect, I hope he can get back to 100% um, fitness and, and get back out on that field because... Man, that guy, when he left the Chiefs, he was one of the best attacking threats. And him under the roof um, would be uh, something special if he could capture some of that form. But at, uh, for, for starting off, I, I see Sam Gilbert doing doing a job for them there. Uh, from all accounts, in the preseason game last week against um, the Crusaders, he did a great job of controlling the backfield. Uh, brilliant with his kicking game, which is obviously a, an area of his game he needed to develop. So, yeah, Sam Gilbert, for me, will get the nod uh, for the early rounds. Well, you're going to be well and truly close to it down in Dunedin because all the ha- action's going to be happening in the first three weeks down in the South. Can't wait for it, mate. I'm looking forward to catching up during the year. I mean, bottom line, though, you, if you had to put your hard-earned, for this Highlanders team to be in the playoff picture, to do enough to be one of those teams that makes us into the knockout rounds, how confident are you? Oh, very. I think the, the Highlanders side, they haven't missed the, the playoffs in the last year. I, I can't remember since, you know, exactly. probably... Uh, you know, so you've got to say that, yeah, that on paper, they've only got like we always talk about, but underestimate them at their peril, and teams still do that just because they don't have the rock stars um, across their side. So, yeah, I think that they'll definitely be in that quarterfinal picture. Where where they where they um, form that, I think they'll be definitely in the top half. So, yeah, they just need to keep healthy, um, especially in some key positions. But I'm just really excited to see a couple of those guys come back from injury namely Falau Whakatawa, Thomas Umanga Jensen, and Fatuli Pai. Those are the three guys that everyone out there should be watching um, to see how well they go this season. All right, Joey. That's fantastic, mate. You're part of the very first Breakdown podcast. It was always going to come to you, to be fair. Come down south. Get it where it really counts. I'll see you during the year. We'll talk to you soon. Cheers, mate. Bye, mate. Thanks. That's week one of the Breakdown Pod. Super Rugby Pacific kicks off this weekend and Breakdown Live in studio Monday before making a move to Sunday night. Keep an eye out as well for a Breakdown Extra preview going into the weekend's action. Catch you next week.